Down Syndrome Queensland are the peak body for intellectual disability in Queensland. We drive change, support inclusion and are on a quest for equality so that people with intellectual disabilities can take their rightful place as valuable members of the community. Down Syndrome Queensland also provides practical and emotional support, comfort and opportunities to people with intellectual disability, their families and support networks, particularly in regional areas. DSQ supports an inclusive environment for people with an intellectual disability, which allows them to live their best lives. We believe it is important to respect the rights of parents to choose the development path that is best for their loved one. DSQ is here to support them along the way. To find out more about how you can help, to volunteer or to support the work of Down Syndrome Queensland, go to downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now into the future. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Now and the Future podcast. I'm Carly Lassig, Lead Education Consultant for Down Syndrome Queensland. In this episode, I chat with Deb Dunstan, who is the current CEO of The Learner First. Previously, Deb has had an extensive career as a senior executive in the Queensland Department of Education, including being the department's inaugural Assistant Director General for Disability and Inclusion. Deb is passionate about leading school improvement and inclusion, and in this episode, we speak about leadership in inclusive education and the next steps for schools in transforming inclusive education policy into practice. Our conversation is also a sneak preview of Deb's presentation at our upcoming Endless Possibilities Conference for Educators on March 3rd. You can find more information about our conference on the Down Syndrome Queensland events page, or you can email the education team at education at downsyndromeqld.org.au. Hello, Deb, <laughs> and welcome to the DSQ Now in the Future podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about leadership in inclusive education. I was wondering just to start off, if you could tell me, what is your vision for inclusive education in Australian schools? Thanks, Carly, and it's terrific to be able to have an opportunity to talk. I guess for me, the vision is that the policies put in place over the last few years, and I really acknowledge the reform around inclusive education, actually become the practice. And I think it has been so easy um, and probably with the Royal Commission underway um, across the country that everyone's focused on their policy, which is terrific. It's a starting point. But my vision is that it's actually about the practice, the experience that every student has every day in every classroom, in every school in Australia. Yes, that's so true. And what are your thoughts around how we make policy 
enacted in schools as it was intended? Well, it, it probably goes to the heart of leadership, doesn't it? And in some locations we see it and um, we see a school culture and community that have really braced into practice. And in others still, and I think uh, across the country, um, it's different experiences for different children depending where they go. Um, and we all know that in classrooms it can also be different each year, you know, um, mm. a different experience. But I think it's the leadership in a school that actually talks to practice, to classroom teachers. I think it's some of what we do every day that matters most. Um, we've had a really good, you know, um, think about all children being welcomed and attending their mainstream school. Um, we haven't had a good talk in the country around curriculum um, and assessment. And what it is when we talk about, you know, reasonable adjustments um, for all children to be successful. And I think in practice sometimes as leaders, and I heard it just the other day, someone said, oh, you know, for that particular disability, uh, they'll get an extra five minutes on their test. And mm. I'm like, yeah, we've actually got to have a conversation about uh, what is a reasonable adjustment. And it's not about a title of a disability. It's actually about what a child needs. And for that particular child to be successful, they might need an additional half hour on their assessment, not five minutes, whoever determined that. Um, mm. So it's really interesting when we kind of go, let's talk about curriculum and assessment in terms of our leadership for inclusion and that's a very different conversation to let's talk about being welcomed and attending and engaging and feeling like you're participating in the class. Um, we all know and the academic research is clear that adjustments we make for children benefit all kids in the class and everybody moves forward. So getting that into the hearts and minds of um, school leaders and classroom teachers, that if they actually focus through the lens of assessment, then they actually know what each child will need to be successful. And it's that lovely um, matching of academic learning and social-emotional learning that yeah. leads to a successful experience. And it's putting those two things together. Yeah. You touch on something really important there around reasonable adjustments and, you know, it's in the legislation. We need to provide reasonable adjustments as educators, but it's a term that's not well-defined. How would you explain reasonable adjustments and how do you think assessment can help us understand that? Um. So I define reasonable adjustments as um, what are the adjustments needed for that particular individual child, student uh, to be successful. And they're not about a title of a disability. They're actually about knowing who that student is, what their needs are. And, of course, that brings up, you know, what for some teachers is there's still this notion that sits around, well, what is fair? Mm -hmm. what is equitable and so we hear words like equity um, and people go oh well, that's you know and so there's still a debate around what people think is fair and what is equitable and so for reasonable adjustments to move forward it is a true understanding of disability of a true understanding of the rights of children to access and therefore what is reasonable for that child um, to be successful and and to 
move away from some of that feeling that classroom teachers have for it to be um, fair. And it's actually fair for all children if they actually have access um, and engagement. And I think, um, you know, it's a really interesting conversation with the rollout of the Australian curriculum and I hear people talk about version nine and, and I sort of go, yeah, but it's actually about um, backward mapping the assessment of what that unit is about who's in your class and what they will need to feel like they can contribute to the lesson and be successful and how as a teacher you then assess that. Um, and I think there's a great conversation in front of Australia about, you know, an authentic mixed method assessment. You know, there's a range of ways to determine the criteria. Um, and so I think that takes inclusion to the next level. Mm. And I love that about the Australian curriculum, that there is no, uh, it doesn't tell teachers how to assess their students. And in fact, students can be assessed in, in a range of ways. So how can we, how can we educate schools and develop leadership capacity around user, using this backward mapping process to improve inclusive education? Um, I think there's some schools that are absolutely on this path. Um, and I think you know, there's an opportunity to have a conversation about the rollout of the next, you know, version of the Australian curriculum to actually say it's not about teachers feeling, like, well, oh, what's that? I've got to teach all of that. It's knowing that, you know, it's being reduced and given a bit more space so that we can actually go to what we all love and that is the art of teaching. Mm -hmm. And what teachers most love and get enjoyment about is truly knowing their class, um, knowing all the students there. And then who needs what and how I can actually catch them at their best and catch them, you know, um, showing me what they can do and not what they can't do. And that's a really different conversation. I think, um, and off the back of COVID, um, and I know we, we still need to talk about that, um, I think it brought to light social and emotional learning and gave permission uh, for all students to have some consideration about what that looks like. And I think in the inclusion space, we've often talked about social and emotional, but it's time in the sun is now and it's actually matching that with who children are, what their curriculum is and what, what adjustments they need to be successful. So um, that, that's my wish. You know, there's often a wish that you have. Um, it's that we sprinkle a bit more magic on the art of teaching and let go of, the fear about what we've got to cover and how many procedures we need to fill in. You know, there's lots of that stuff that's important, but the most important part um, is not that children with a disability are in class, but that they are actively engaged in the curriculum and that the assessment is tailored to suit their needs. Mm. I love that you talk about the magic and the art of teaching. That's a lovely phrase. Can you, without using any names, can you tell us about any examples of where you've seen that in practice? Um, yeah, and no, I actually wrote an article that will come out shortly about the magic of teaching. And in some of the work that I'm doing now, you know, I had the privilege of being um, at a primary school and I met a prep teacher who said, oh, I was probably going to go, you know, I was just done. Um, and I was part of a change team in my school that were started to look at the work differently. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, focused on 
their least served learner in the classroom and often that learner has a range of characteristics of which, um, you know, having a disability, being Indigenous, having a cultural barrier, um, English as a second language, whatever it might be. And they redesigned their curriculum unit around that particular child. Mm -hmm. Um, But the benefits in the class were to everyone. And I wrote, you know, the magic was all around the room. You know, you know when you go into a class and the teacher's loving it and the kids are loving it. And it was about her rethinking what it was that she was teaching and why. Absolutely covering the curriculum absolutely meeting the expectations and um, I think that's a really good example of you know it is a bit of a stop rethink use the opportunity what is it that we want children to be able to do and how do we want them to contribute to society you know as they move forward as young people in the world so as some really interesting um magic putting those things together and I think it's the next step it's um the excitement of the work I'm currently you know working on Mm. what do you think are the barriers to that happening at the moment in a lot of schools um teaching's hard and I think everybody knows that and sometimes it's the fear and it's the fear of um thinking about it differently and the fear of the challenge. Um, you know, often still we hear about, oh, I'm not so sure I've got um, the resources for that particular child or I'm not so sure that I know what to do. And so it has been that wraparound. I think we've done a good job and, you know, organisations like DSQ, you know, full credit to, to really getting in and supporting. And I think there's so much more support um, that that too is also changing the conversation. Um, but it's not about um, I don't have the skill. Yes, you do. I don't have the money. It's not about money. Um, I don't have the resources. We've got lots of resources. Um, it is about empowering teachers um, with a love of learning through the lens of who's in my room and what can I do to make them successful. Mm. And thinking about those students on the margin and if we make it accessible for them, we're probably making it more accessible for everyone. Yeah, and not surprising in those classrooms I visited at the school that I went to at the end of last year, you know, it wasn't just that one room. Um, And, of course, the principal said, wow, you know, in the teachers that have been trialling some of this, behaviour has significantly reduced. Mm. Kids are loving what they're doing. And um, the students with the most complex needs feel like they've got a place and, um and are loving that. Um, really naughty for the supply teacher, maybe. <laughs> you know, that's how it rolls sometimes. But, um, you know, in the main, I think um, we are on the cusp globally of rethinking education, rethinking the opportunities um, in front of us and uh, rethinking it through the lens of individual students and where they're at and what they need social emotional learning and academic learning coming together in one formula. Mm. So what role do school leaders play in making that happen then? Um, I think taking the policy um, and turning it into practice and empowering and supporting their classroom teachers around the practice being the most important part of that, Mm -hmm. not the policy. Yeah. 
And then what about on the system level? What do you think needs to happen there to support schools to do that? Yeah, and look, I think um, systems provide, you know, the broad overview of direction. And I think, you know, off the back of the Alice Springs Declaration in Australia, you know, we've got a really strong footprint of um, equity and excellence in education. Each state and territory take that and rewrite it and rebadge it, but it's essentially that. Mm -hmm. And I think for each school principal who then says, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure what the direction is, I'm like, well, I think, you know, equity and excellence, all children, um, all day, every day, and, and then, you know, kind of not waiting um, for something to come. And I often hear schools, oh, I was just waiting to hear what might be the, I'm like, no, no, just the time is now. Those children are here now. Um, really invest in your teachers. Um, what do they need to feel successful? How do they get a love of, of teaching back um, and the reward and recognition that comes with that? And it, I think the coaching and mentoring and support and the professional development that teachers have access to in Australia is unprecedented across um, other parts of the globe. And that is the greatest gift that school principals have is to use that and to use it uh, to support every teacher uh, to be the best they can be. Mm. I think that culture that's created in the school, as you say, is so important have you seen some good examples of how principals have really um, nurtured that culture, that inclusive mindset, that it so that it is something that teachers have buy into? Oh, absolutely, and certainly, you know, um, that there are lots of schools in Queensland, you know, um, that I know have invested. Um, and are working their way through enacting policy into practice and doing a superb job. Um, I think families are feeling more and more confident. Um, I certainly know that's perhaps not the same story across the country, um, and it does vary um, from school to school and from state to state sometimes. Um, but I think there is an opportunity uh, coming forward as we think about curriculum to think about children at the front of that sentence um, and then to go, what is it that we need to do to have, you know, more authentic assessment um, that shows us what we can do, not what we can't do. Mm. So true. So for those uh, school leaders out there that are listening, what would be your top three messages that you would have for them of what should be their priority if this is their priority in their schools? Um, you know, to, to clearly understand the policy, you know, that is an essential job for a school leader and to enact that into practice, to use their leadership teams and their, their structure of, of school and to talk to families about that. Um, I think often we can say when there's a problem that we've got a policy, but families appreciate hearing that as part of the culture of the mm -hmm. school 
And I think that's a really important part for schools to talk to that, to families about the culture that they have and what inclusion and equity and excellence means for their school community and to invest in the capability of their teachers um, and to support that and have a really open mind to other partners, other organisations, other experts, um, universities, whatever it might be to actually partner uh, with that success and to give teachers the confidence that it's okay to say this is the first time I've had a student with Down syndrome in my career and I'm not so sure and that everybody goes that's okay um, but you're a great teacher and we're going to be here with you every step of the way and you have all the support that you need this year and um, I, I think sometimes that's just taking out that that fear or that anxiety people don't want to do the wrong job you know hmm. teachers want to do the right thing but I think they also want permission to go it's okay to ask not so sure what I should do next and uh who's the person that's going to help me think that through hmm. and I that's part of a supportive culture non-judgment we're here to help that's part of our school community we've got partners we've got people we can reach out to and I think that for Australia is just a really lovely definition of inclusion and everything coming together. Mm. I think allowing teachers that to be vulnerable, to be honest about where they're at and what support they Absolutely. need is key. Yes. And I love that you bring up, you know, collaboration with external organisations because Down Syndrome in Queensland, we have services to support kindy and prep right through to year 12 and we're always very excited to work with schools no matter where they are on their journey towards inclusion. So thank, you, thank you for sharing your expertise with us today, Deb, and we look forward Absolutely. to seeing you at our upcoming conference. Looking forward to it. Thank you for that today. Thank you. At the Now in the Future podcast, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions as a way of continuing to provide essential information for the community. If you have a question or would like any more information on any of our episodes or have any ideas for future episodes, simply send us an email to engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. That's engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. And we'll do our best to provide you with the information you require in one of our upcoming episodes. The Now in the Future podcast aims to support, advocate for and empower people with Down syndrome both now and into the future. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at Down syndrome Down Syndrome Queensland, supporting people with Down Syndrome now and into the future.